Let's turn to that little story of Jonah. Four pages in our Bibles, that's all it is. Very brief. The historic masterpiece, really, that we have before us. And as we think of the Great Commission and the shout of grace, it certainly thunders the grace of God throughout this little little book of four pages. It challenges us with the, the gospel of God's grace that we've been singing of. How great is that grace? We come to kind of what we might call the, the central message or verse of the whole of the Bible when we have at the end of Jonah's prayer, salvation is of the Lord. There's something that just rings in that. We might say that there's something here in that story that's a shout of grace that just thunders all through Scripture. And certainly for me, it's a very personal thing. I believe, uh, you know, some 60-plus years ago, that reality of the grace of God struck my heart in such a way that it's impacted all the rest of my life, my family, my children, my friends. There's been a a work of grace constantly going on in my own life that I can say salvation is of the Lord. There's a beauty and power to that. So we come to this passage and we need to be very clear that this is the very essence of the Bible itself. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what it's all about. The grace of God sets Christianity apart from all other religions, all other philosophies. It's by grace that we are saved. This is a powerful message that is all through God's word. And so as we come to this this morning, we need to realize that he is the one who finds us. It's not that we have found him, but he is the one who has found us. The story is brief. You can read it out loud in about less than 10 minutes. I've done it three or four times this week, and uh, it's less than 10 minutes. Read it. It'll strike your heart. We'll briefly look at this morning the prophet Jonah. We'll look at these strange sailors, how they worship, and then we'll look at this, this shout of grace. And so... It is an important book, and I do want you to read it out loud. It's read out loud in the synagogues on the Day of Atonement, even in our own country. It's an important volume of work, a brief masterpiece. So we come to this very first point of our passage, and I would have us hear these words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port, that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Jehovah 
the covenant God. So we begin with the prophet. He's what I would call an anti-missionary prophet. Now, you can go to 2 Kings in chapter 14, and you can read about how he's from a city up around Galilee, and he was one who, you know, during that time with other prophets of that time, Hosea and Amos, and along with Elisha, he was trying to expand the northern kingdom. He was one who prophesied the word of God. He was a prophet of the Lord. But if you look at this passage before us, he is this anti-grace prophet. Strange. How can you be a prophet of the Lord and be an anti-grace prophet? Now, I think it might be good for us to just understand a little bit about Jonah. I think usually we're a little bit hard on him. If you put yourself in his shoes to think with me a little bit about this situation, the context of this book that we have before us. The Assyrians, that is, Nineveh was like the capital of Assyria. This city and the Assyrians were murderous people. They were killing people. They would cut off people's arms. They would cut off both legs of someone. They did things that we would think of as below animals, inferior. They were seen by the Hebrews as this horrible people that were inferior to anything that they could think of. They would chop off I mean, the descriptions we have of their chopping off babies' heads before their parents. Horrible things. Now, you're sent to Nineveh. Now, maybe a comparison. I tried to think through this a little bit, but maybe if you're a, a rabbi, 1941, and you're going to end up on the streets of Berlin saying, Nazi Germany's going to fall in 40 days. How long would you last? Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He saw these as undeserving, filthy people. They were Gentiles. They burned children alive. But you know, if we read this book through... What we're given as the reason he flees from the great commission he's given is different than just thinking of there being Gentiles. Why didn't Jonah go? Turn a page over, and there in chapter 4, verse 2, we read there these words. There he says, see if I can find that the numbers here. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew you were a gracious God. I knew it. That's why I didn't go. That's why I fled from the presence, your presence. I didn't follow the great commission you gave to me. I knew you were a gracious God. Now, what is going on here? 
in his mind, they deserve it. He is this one who was a great lover of his own people. There was a certain, what we might call racism, what we might call today a nationalism. The Hebrew people, these are the people. There was this hatred for those whom God sent him to, a fearfulness, but also he did not want them to be pardoned. He wanted them to be destroyed. And so I would see in that sense that Jonah is an anti-missionary prophet. Now, really, though, I think what Jonah really wanted, if you think through it with me this morning, Jonah just wanted a God who destroys the bad people like Nineveh and those Assyrians and that God blesses the good people like we are, Israel, the Hebrew people. That's all he wanted. But then the real true God shows up and there's nuances about how he deals with people and that all are sinners. But God, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the real God shows up and he sends him to Nineveh because this God pardons. This God is a gracious God. This God doesn't just, so to speak, punish evil people and bless good people. He is a God of great grace. He is one who shows mercy to enemies, to sinners. He is the God who, yes, in a wonderful way, has grace for foreigners, born and unborn, men and women whose lives are broken. He shows grace and love. Remember, as we think of who God is, there was one who was yet to come, who came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the God of great grace. This is the God of whom we can say salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. He is God. He is God. So the great commission to the ends of the earth came to Jonah and he fled from the presence of the Lord. Now we know the story we begin reading there in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? 
He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to roll back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So let's pause for a moment. Here is what I would call these awesome grace sailors. These are amazing sailors. I don't know if any of you have had that experience of being out on the the great uh, ocean or the seas. And and I, I do remember spending time on the North Sea and, and how this thing rolled. And, and even though what seemed to me be quite a ship that we were on, uh, this herring ship, it was rolling and being tossed about. And these are men that were rugged. They spent four months away from their home, constantly fishing out on that sea, rolling. My friends, I still remember all three of them were on the deck vomiting. They were, all of them just sick. There was something about that rolling sea that these fellows were, they were done in. What an amazing experience with these rugged men. Sailors are rugged men, but these that are described here are at their wit's end, just like we read in Psalm 107. They were those who didn't know what was next. They were tossing overboard the cargo they had. There was great fear the ship is going to break up. This great storm was beyond their understanding even and as you know they cast lots and it fell upon Jonah interesting how when they ask for his identification the first thing he says is I am a Hebrew almost as if he's over and above his worship of Yahweh the true God Jehovah he is immediately saying I am a Hebrew and of course there is this sense in which These sailors, I think, are awesome grace sailors because they show something of God's common grace to him. Even though they could see the lot had come upon him and he was the one, and he said, cast me into the sea, and the sea will become calm as a prophet of the Lord. They rowed, 
with their oars deep, as the Hebrew speaks of it, deep down into the water, all their force, all they could do to get it back to land. But it was hopeless. The storm was even worse as they went. And then there's something that takes place as they cast him into that raging sea. There is a calm. It's almost like we switch off the lights. There it was. There was a calm. The wind and the waves are calm. And there we have something in verse 16. We read these words, amazing words. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. That's the word for God's covenant name. His name, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him which seemed like something what we might even call God's special grace. Something took place with these men that was amazing. As you would go through this, they're fearing the Lord, and they're offering sacrifices, making vows to him. I don't know. Someone immediately asked the question, are these heathen, these Gentiles, these, these who were just with this prophet such a short amount of time, are they as we would say today, saved? Well, I don't know how to answer that question exactly. But I know the Lord has said through Isaiah 45, I believe it's verse 22, look unto me all the earth and be saved. And there was something of that good news that was going to them in those moments that they showed such special grace to offer sacrifice unto the Lord and reverence to him, and vows to him. Look at this moment with me just for, a, just for a little bit. Jonah went into the raging sea. The storm switched off. Verse 15, it says, ceased from the raging. The anger of the storm was very real. The anger of God showing his anger this anti-missionary prophet, they throw him in to the raging sea. God's wrath turned aside. We often speak from this pulpit how beautifully those who preach from here speak of one greater than Moses, one greater than Jonah, one greater than David. And there is one that we must think of who was cast into the raging wrath of God without sin Jonah is one who's cast into that raging sea who is yes guilty but we have one who is without sin who yes was cast into God's wrath and he endured all that wrath so that those who are in Christ there's not one drop of that wrath left he endured it all not a drop of that sea of God's wrath is left for us. I often have thought when I was reading through Jonah, how amazing it would be for Jonah to have been there on that deck watching these grace sailors offer sacrifice to his God, to offer, yes, vows to him, to worship him, what an amazing moment to see the faith of these 
grace sailors. Yes, amazing. Think with me just a little bit. Here is Jonah who had fled to the ends of the earth to avoid, that is to not obey the great commission he was given. Here he is and what takes place, what happens. It's what I call crazy grace. Amazing this moment. His commission to the heathen, he tries to avoid with all he can, and yet what happens? Heathen are converted. More. Where are they headed? At this point, it's like they're headed to the ends of the earth, Spain and further, possibly. And the very thing that it would seem that he was trying to avoid took place in a wonderful way. Sailors who then went too far away. Salvation comes from the Lord. There was something here in this amazing way in which God was at work. God does straight, strike straight lines with crooked sticks. He does do that. It's what we call crazy grace. He enjoys showing his grace in unusual ways. Amazing these awesome grace sailors. Now, let's look just for a brief moment now with our eyes wide open at the amazing grace shout. Chapter 2, we have this prayer of Jonah. And there we read, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O oh Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then these rather strong words, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited jo Jonah on the dry land. What is this shout? When does it take place? Now certainly I've already said this is like the center, not just of the book of Jonah, but in a sense salvation is of the Lord, is the center of God's word and truth. Grace, salvation is of the Lord. But when does it take place? Is it after he has arrived on land? Yes, there he arrives on land, and he's been saved from this amazing thing, and there he stands, and he 
puts both arms up in the air and says, salvation is of the Lord. Victory. Not so. Seaweeds wrapped around his head. His life is ebbing away. That's when he's praying. And that's when this shout of grace comes. Salvation is of the Lord. If you look there at that passage, how important I believe it is to see that it's before he's released from the fish. It's while he's still in the agony of it all. While it's still very dim and life is ebbing away, as verse says, he prays in verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. Christ on the cross. It's while he's in the throes of death itself that he says, it is finished as a triumphant word while it's at that very lowest point. God has done it. As Psalm 22 ends, there's a sense in which that psalm of the cross comes to its end with that word. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. It's on the cross while there is still the great moment of darkness. Jonah's prayer ends with that shout of grace. Central verse of all of scripture, yes, but it's uttered when it's in the darkness of the fish. The main point of the very word of God is that in everyday life, there should be those shouts of grace, those shouts of faith in him, even when things are not all good and rosy and beautiful. In the most difficult moments is when its salvation is of the Lord. I remember a meeting not too long ago. We had about, oh, maybe 20 for our membership meeting, and we had gathered, and, and I think at the end, Pastor John had already described powerfully our doctrinal statements, and everything was beautifully done, and we had a, maybe three of us as elders were up answering questions at the end, and somehow or another, I started talking about missions, and, and uh, as I was talking, suddenly someone, a lady who was grappling with cancer, said, just blurt it out with a shout. Sign me up. There's that shout of grace that in the most difficult times, yes, sign me up. God's amazing grace. The story of grace is very real. And it's something that we sing about and it, it, it hits our hearts. We, we weep. We, we, it's something that comes down inside of us. There's a hymn that we sing, I guess, in this country, United States, they say it's sung at least 10 million times every year in this nation. Sometimes at funerals, many times at churches. It's kind of part of our history and culture. Old John Newton wrote this hymn. It was published originally in the Olney Hymns, and I have the old volume over here back, uh, I think it was 250 years ago that he wrote the hymn. And as you know, John Newton has something of the conversion story of being on a slave ship 
after a storm of some 27 days and, and uh, they're arriving in the place of thinking of even cannibalism and all that they went through and how God brought them through and it's during that time that he really comes to faith in Christ on a slave ship. And then later, the story is of his captain, cap, being captain of slave ship and his bringing over over 400 slaves to be sold. He was a Christian then and he didn't realize what he was doing. The evil, the sinfulness of it all. It was something that tore him up the rest of his life. He wrote at the end of his life, right before in the United Kingdom, they declared the commerce of, of slavery to be evil and forbidden. 1807, he wrote 27 pages describing his sinfulness and what he had done because he stood against that. This whole volume, though, that I was mentioning, it has just a little bit on amazing grace, just, just a little bit. And it says this, in Great Britain, it is unknown to modern collections. This is 1907. It says, but in America, its use is extensive it is far from being a good example of Newton's work. That's all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Newton knew something of a slave trade, and there was something that was part of that whole thing that was part of his own testimony that was written there. He wrote it from the reality of his own conversion. And I speak upon this because I think it's such an important element here. That whole movement that was against slavery was a Christian movement. And in our day, whether it's literature, Uncle Tom's Cabin, whatever, all the Christian literature that was used against the slave trade and the evil of it, Christian literature, great stance, it's ignored. A film, Amazing Grace, that's made. It's ignored because the world in, that we live in right now, they want to stand up for certain things. Black Lives Matter, that's full of liberation theology and Marxism and doesn't have the gospel. And only the gospel was what changed people's thinking and changed people's lives and brought down that horrible, evil trade that took place. Interesting, the last stanza that we sing with amazing grace. I have that old volume over here. Uh, it was burned in a fire but still exists. And uh, if you open it, it always opens to the page that John Newton had for amazing grace, that hymn. And you read down all the stanzas and at the end, there's not that stanza that we know it came as a stanza out of the Negro spirituals, of the slaves singing that hymn, Amazing Grace. They added, they added a shout of grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, there is something there that's powerful with that. Bright, shining like the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. There was a shout of grace. 
And I believe as we would sing this, we need to realize that we shout grace when we're at the difficult, most difficult moments, not just when it's all, all good and everything's easy. We shout grace as Christians because we're in his hands. Yes, old John Newton was a slave trader and he sought repentance and forgiveness of God. Near the end of his life, 1807, really just a few days before, it's like a shout of grace from his own heart. He has these words. My memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. And that should be our shout of grace. Every one of us, if we know Christ, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. That's our shout of grace. It doesn't get any deeper than that. It doesn't. We don't move beyond it. That's where I still am. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we do pray that you would put a shout of grace within our hearts afresh today. Give us such a shout of grace within us as we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, Lord, give us, oh, Lord, strike our hearts in such a way that we know it's all of grace. It's not that we are a little better than some others or that we figured it out better or that we're wiser than or that we didn't sin like some others. We thank you for the life of old John Newton, a slave trader, wicked as wicked could be. And yet you have used him in our lives. And we pray, oh Lord, you'd touch us afresh as we sing that we really will have a shout of grace, of your grace in us. We pray in Jesus' name.